Hello and thanks for listening. I'm Jude Hill and in this special series of podcasts I'll be in conversation with church leaders and invited guests. During 2021 we are marking the centenary of key moments in the partition of Ireland, the establishment of Northern Ireland and the changes that resulted in terms of British-Irish relationships. Throughout the year the leaders of the Church of Ireland, Catholic, Methodist and Presbyterian churches along with the President of the Irish Council of Churches have been reflecting together on the response and responsibility of churches on issues of identity and belonging past, present and future. As part of that work, they issued a joint statement on St. Patrick's Day. In that, they acknowledged that some may struggle with the concept of shared history when it comes to this centenary year, but they want to focus in on the reality of living in a shared space on these islands and how to make it a place of belonging and welcome for all. So as part of their contribution to the task of building that shared space, church leaders have developed this podcast series where they will discuss with their guests some of the identity-based challenges that have impacted our society in the past and continue to undermine social cohesion. They'll reflect on the challenges of leadership in this context and share their hopes for the future. Just to let you know, this conversation was recorded towards the end of the summer. With all of that in mind, I'm joined by Archbishop Eamon Martin, who's the Archbishop of Armagh and Primate of All Ireland, and alongside him today, Linda Irvine, who manages tourists and Irish language projects. So we'll chat to you, Linda, in just a moment. But first, um, Archbishop Eamon Martin, take us back to that St. Patrick's Day message that you wanted to set the tone for this year. What aspect of that message did you personally feel strongly about including and why did it have that personal resonance for you? Well, first of all, it was a very significant moment, not just for me, but for all of us. We were in Armagh together. Uh, It was St. Patrick's Day and the leaders of the main Christian traditions in this island were coming together to, I think, try to instill a voice of hope, a voice of harmony, of reconciliation into a year which could so easily be a contentious year, as indeed, if you look back over this whole decade of centenaries, They're fraught with uh, potential difficulties. And we were very anxious. We've been in great conversations well over a year now about the year 1921 and 2021 and its deep significance for this island and for these islands. Uh, For me as a Catholic, it was always going to be particularly difficult, you know, to have any talk about celebrating uh, the centenary of 1921. And this is something which I shared with my brothers and sisters from the other Christian traditions and said that, look, how can we look upon the year 2021 as an opportunity to build greater mutual understanding, to work towards more harmony and reconciliation? Because uh, we have built up a great friendship within the church leaders group, uh, particularly, I think, over the COVID times, where we've been meeting often over Zoom. We've been sharing a lot of our common struggles. And this was also coinciding with the repercussions of Brexit, the increasing tension and disagreement that appeared to be there at one level. And we felt that as church leaders, it was very important for us to invite people into a shared space where we could reflect together on issues to do with identity and belonging. And for me, in our St. Patrick's Day message, we were trying to express that this year means a lot of different things to different people. But for me, one of the most significant aspects of our message was our acceptance of a kind of shared responsibility 
for all that has been going wrong in this part of the world over the last 100 years and maybe as churches even accepting our part in fomenting or let's say not doing enough to discourage uh, discord and uh, disagreement and perhaps retreating into our own camps to a certain extent. So for me, that was deeply significant, a kind of shared expression of remorse and also a commitment to building a deeper understanding of each other uh, this year and, please God, in the years ahead. And in trying to walk that line then between appreciating, as you say, that that marking the centenary would be a struggle and for some, some just wouldn't want to do it. What were the personal challenges for you then in trying to walk that line and encourage others to look into the centenary and actually really personally reflect? Yeah, I think that, well, indeed, once I did say anything at all about this year, um, there were some people within my own community who criticised me. I got a lot of emails and letters and saying, listen, we want nothing to do with uh, the year 2021, 1921. Uh, For us, it is simply something that we regret. We see it as a terrible moment of grief and separation. And I, in many ways, share those views. Uh, In fact, I was reading back there to some of my predecessors and what they were saying way back in 1921 and for the Catholic church leaders at that time you know partition of Ireland they felt would be forever a source of perennial discord and fraternal strife those words were used by one of my predecessors so I shared that but I also felt that in this part of the world we have a responsibility to lead uh, serious, mature reflection on who we are. We do have a shared history of terrible grief, of the aftermath and trauma of violence. We have people in our communities who are living with that, uh, for whom it's a daily uh, struggle. And I felt that as a leader in the Catholic Church here in Ireland that I had a responsibility to perhaps encourage members of my own flock to enter into this period of reflection, bringing with us all of our concerns and worries and, um, and uh, let's say, regrets about the past. And how did you journey that? Was there a sense that there was traction from some people who perhaps started out out as as highly reluctant to engage? Well, I think yes. I think uh, many members of all of the communities here have now accepted that there is a sensitivity surrounding this particular centenary and that we should be sensitive to one another and to realise that on this island and in these islands there are such a variety of viewpoints And yet we have to recognise that people have legitimate aspirations. This was one of the things which was built into the preamble of the Good Friday Belfast Agreement, that we need to recognise one another's legitimate aspirations. And for me, that was something that really motivated my call for people in the Catholic community to enter in some way into even trying to get a deeper understanding of what happened in 1921 and to try to use this as an opportunity to reach out to our brothers and sisters who perhaps don't share the same viewpoints as we do. Were there any moments along the way that really stand out to you where you felt really challenged personally and had to reconfigure your thinking or where you thought about something in a a new way based on some of the conversations you were having? I think for me personally, you know, the church leaders have been very, very keen to maybe have a church service this year 
where we would together reflect on all that has been happening, express those regrets that I mentioned earlier, but also express a voice of hope for the future on this island and in these islands, both north, south, east, west, that whole configuration of relationships. And for me, I was a bit afraid at one point that that this was going to move into a kind of celebration of, of, of the foundation of Northern Ireland and not much else. And I did voice that with, with my, my brothers and sisters in the church leaders group. And I must say, in fairness, you know, we did uh, make a point to everyone concerned that we would like to lead a service that we as church leaders would like to invite others to share with us in bringing to God all of our mistakes, but also all of our hopes. And and this was one moment where I felt I really had to voice my concern. And I was really pleased that that was heard by the other church leaders. And I think that we have recovered the possibility of doing something very special and very deeply symbolic uh, in the autumn. I should say at this moment we've introed Linda Irvine and, and each ch- church leader has had the chance to invite a guest into the chat. So Archbishop, why did you want to be in conversation with Linda today and what's the theme that you really want to explore? Well, first of all, you know, it's, it's a real honour for me to be with Linda. Uh, it's my first time, Linda, to meet you face to face and to have a conversation with you. But I have to say that I've been following your story for some time And, uh, you know, for me, you're a great example of someone who has dared to to step into an area which is, to me, completely natural, our love of of our native language. But for you to do so within your own community and within your own tradition has been deeply courageous. And I know it has been recognised, you know, with your MBE and things like that. But perhaps, you know, someone like myself, I haven't recognised the, the courage that you have shown to do this. And uh, for me, the Irish language is very special also. And I, I just think it is so beautiful and wonderful that someone from your tradition. And, and it's completely natural because, I mean, for me, uh, the the Irish language is something that can be shared and has been shared historically by all of the traditions in this island. And I really admire you and I'm delighted to have this opportunity just to speak with you and hear a little bit about, you know, what it's been like for you to do that in terms to really maybe question some of the, you know, stereotypes that are out there in this part of the world about identity and belonging. Thank you very much for that. That's, a, that's um, I'm quite overwhelmed with that, to be honest. <laughs> Linda, I was just going to say you've been well teed up there, but how, <laughs> how does how does your passion for the Irish language? Um, how has that played into this year of centenary? I suppose what what does the year mean to you? Well, I suppose, and um, I'm thinking back, sort of to the the all the centenary stuff around 1916 as well and I have to be honest I suppose because of the job I do um, there's almost a part of me dreads that when there's there's sort of another one of these years come up because you worry you know is it just going to put added stress and create more tension but I know when I look back on the the um, 2016 I was amazed how well things were handled and again I look at things for this year and I think it's important Yes, that we do look back and we do look at where we are now and, and you know, it gives people an opportunity to discuss the past and, and what led up to partition and what has happened since partition. So, you know, for me, 
um, you know, my my own false fears or apprehensions um, really have been translated into opportunities for open discussion with people and dialogue. And can you tell us about some of those opportunities then, maybe some of the conversations that have arisen uh, through the work that you've been doing this year? Well, again, you know, we, we've now, after COVID, started to open up again and started to, to sort of meet with people again. And it's, it's been very much, you know, the same sort of conversations that I've been having over the last 10 years with people who have never had the opportunity to engage with the Irish language. They have a, a perception of, I suppose, who the language belongs to or what the language is ab- about. And, you know, they only see it in political terms. They they don't realise that, you know, they're surrounded by the place names and many of the, the you know, their, their own surnames are, are Gaelic and, um, you know, words that they use in their everyday speech. And, you know, it always amazes me, you know, when I do presentations or talk to people, because one of the things, especially with men, they'll say, if I'd have only known that, or why was I never told that? And I suppose that is a big question, is why do people, almost why are they not allowed to know? You know, it was just as we're saying about the whole centenary, you know, discussion, education is very, very important because it allows people then to make their own mind up about things rather than making judgments on half-truths or, you know, misconceptions. And leading on language has brought you many challenges and the most recent um, example has been the patent opposition you came up against in relation to plans for a new Irish nursery in East Belfast. How much of a toll did that take on you personally? It's been very difficult um, because some of it has become very personal and also, you know, it's it's been a long couple of years, you know, we've been working on this as a, as a committee and it's went from being a pipe dream to something something real and tangible now. And, you know, there's just been the normal stresses of funding and fundraising and getting people into jobs and, you know, getting getting parents and, you know, just, just the normal things that you do. And then on top of it has been this added, I suppose I regard it as very unnecessary intimidation. And, you know, at the end of the day, we, we're talking about 16 three-year-olds. We're talking about preschool. There's nothing threatening about that. You know, the fact that these children will hear their songs and rhymes and, you know, do their games through Irish instead of English, you know, shouldn't make anybody feel threatened. And it really saddens me that people would. I think the thing that I have found most difficult, though, about the situation is the fact that there's been so much misrepresentation. So, you know, things that are just literally untrue that have been said and have been very hard to challenge. So a lot of people who have voiced opposition to what we're doing aren't actually voicing opposition to what we're really doing. They're voicing opposition to this, you know, idea of what we're doing that isn't real. And that, that's very difficult to deal with. So we push on. We are still searching and hoping and praying for a, a permanent home, but we, we believe it will come. You're obviously a very thoughtful and resilient person, but how do you then handle that sort of situation? Like, is it possible to have some sort of a healing response to something like that that, that is very toxic? It's difficult. And I think in these sort of situations, and it has, you know, over the last 10 years, my faith has helped me massively because when there is nowhere else to turn, 
And that, that is just the reality. I don't have the answers very often. I don't know what to do. I, I, and I, I just have to pray and I have to leave it in the hands of the Lord. And, you know, and at the minute I'm feeling, well, Lord, you know, you, you have a purpose in this. And I, I don't know what it is. I'm, but I hope I can look back and see, you know. And I, I have, you know, over the past 10 years with Taurus, I've pushed on doors and they've opened I've needed things and the right person has come, you know, the needs have been met and, you know, and I, I do put that down to the hand of the Lord but in it and I believe that that's what will happen this time. And I know with my own faith, I mean, I, I grew up without a faith. I, I don't come from a faith background. My my family um, are communists and we were taught not to have a faith and, you know, even as a young adult, I very much prided myself in the fact that I didn't have a faith and through, I suppose, life's challenges and difficulties, I turned to a God that I didn't believe in. But that has been the very thing that has sustained me through the past lot of years. Mm. Eamon, how do you feel as you listen to those challenges personally? And is there a role that the church can take in, in supporting someone like Linda when an issue becomes toxic like that? Yeah, well, just listening to you speak, uh, Linda, really feel a mixture of, uh, well, first of all, sadness that, that, that um, courageous people like yourself who just gently try to inch us forward, um, meet with such um, misrepresentation, misunderstanding, but also great admiration because I, I, I do believe that when people want to do good things to bring people closer together, to build reconciliation, that the Lord will be with them and just as you were speaking there, I was thinking back, you know, that, you know, some of the great um, proponents of Irish language and culture came from uh, Protestant traditions. You know, the the culture land in, in, in Belfast is named for Robert McAdam, for example, and Cardinal O'Fee. And if you think of Robert McAdam, uh, a very, very uh, able and respected leader, Presbyterian, who at the end of the 19th century did a huge amount of work to build mutual understanding. And he actually saw the Irish language and culture as actually a potential source of building harmony and unity. And it's just sad for me that uh, perhaps the Protestant people have lost contact with the language. And I think that for me, growing up, uh, the Irish language was, was was just part of my growing up. Like my mother would have been a fluent speaker, and uh, you know, my brother was the the principal of one of the first Bunskalana, the first primary schools uh, in, in Irish in, in in Derry, and also now in 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 Armagh and in Derry the, the the Irish language is, is is something that's just natural and important, and it's it's just a pity that it has been kind of commandeered only for one of the traditions. Um, in the same way as some other aspects of culture have gone the other way. And, and yeah, I just think that uh, when we see the way that Ireland, both north and south, and the, these islands have be, has been developing, you know, there are lots of languages now. And we were in a very different space to the one we were in 100 years ago. You can walk down the street here in Belfast and hear, you know, Polish and Lithuanian and uh, pe people from Filipino tradition and East Timor and just languages have just exploded and they're much more common to hear other languages and in the midst of all of that to realise that we have a beautiful 
beautiful ancient language which we share and it could be a, a, a wonderful source of harmony and I thank you Linda for all that you're doing do keep it up uh, and there will be others who will recognize that this isn't something that simply belongs to people of the Catholic tradition but that it is an, a language of this island and uh, and it is something that we can all share and enjoy thank you how Eamon can we journey on in that trajectory that you're talking about where language and culture can add to the health and harmony of a place rather than get embroiled in you know toxic political debates because mm -hmm. I suppose with the debates of unity or union pressing in um, some of these spaces become even more pressurized how how can that be walked? Yeah, it is such a pity, isn't it, really, that nearly everything here is interpreted in a kind of a binary way, either Protestant or Catholic or Unionist or Nationalist, you know, and then so flags and emblems and parades and bonfires and any days that we mark, nearly everything is just um, shelved into one side or the other. I, I think that, look, we, we recognise that that's a reality. We be sensitive to each other. And we be perhaps uh, courageous in stepping out and allowing ourselves to be challenged. So, for example, in recent years, you know, I have personally uh, tried to find a little bit more uh, understanding of the way that people from Protestant Unionist tradition mark, for example, the two world wars and people who have died in the wars. Through that, I discovered my own grand uncle. I visited his grave along with people of other traditions out uh, in, in Flanders and, and really discovered that sense of shared belonging of a shared past and and I think that we can do this and people like Linda you're showing us Linda that it can be done just don't lose hope and keep doing the good work that you're doing even if it's small even if it doesn't appear to be getting very far you are touching the lives of people and and just keep doing what you're doing and and um, you know uh, I think that really you know, if God blesses your work, it, w it will really bear fruit in the future. Linda, what's your sense on the ground then around some of those debates? We've talked about the challenges, but is there, are you seeing moments of progress or are people embracing difference in some of the, the work? Are there some stories you can maybe share um, about that? I, I think there generally is progress and I see it. And I, I think that the narrative around the language is gradually changing. I, I think there's still people who believe that there's, you know, the language is politicised and, you know, and, and are very hostile to the language. But I know within my own organisation, you know, people come in and they want to talk about the language and they're curious. One of the things I really found was interesting was during the, 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 the kind of quite contentious time there around legislation when I again worried because I thought, you know, this, this will kind of damage relationships. People actually, more people from the unionist community came to enrol for classes and we always say, you know, what brings you, what, what is your interest in the language? And one of the things that they said was, well, I'm hearing about it so much, it's all over the news. And I just wanted to know what all the fuss was about. So they're curious and they come in and again, you know, they discover something that is beautiful, you know, something that they realise was always a part of the world around them, but they, they just never had access to it. And 
And I, I've seen so many people fall in love with the language and become as passionate about it as I am. And, you know, that that's a fantastic place to be. And I, I, I feel, you know, really fortunate to be in a position where I can introduce other people to something that's so beautiful. And, and I suppose that's what drove me when I first got involved in this work, because I had found something that I didn't know existed. And all of a sudden, somebody introduced it to me. And I wanted to share that with other people within my community who, like myself, hadn't had the opportunity. And I didn't know how people, you know, would feel. And over the years, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people who, you know, are just so happy. And I, I get so many messages and, you know, whether it's verbally or texts or emails to say, thank you you know thank you for putting these classes on you know thank you for coming out and doing that talk thank you for telling us about this you know i i just love this and i enjoy it and also i i think one of the things that's been wonderful for us you know our, our motto is ikfolum lakela which is learning together and within Taurus, people come together. You know, we don't have to do the kind of 10 Catholics, 10 Protestants things. People just come to learn the language. But people are sitting down together. They're learning together. They're laughing together. They're forming friendships. And it's such a healing place. It really is such a healing place. And the language, for me, is that medium of healing. And, you know, I, I thank God for it. Mm. Eamon, in the, the St. Patrick's Day statement, you talked about churches creating um, spaces of encounter. Is is what Linda is modelling out here really what the church is aiming towards? What are churches doing to ensure more spaces like this and ensure greater reach out and, and understanding? Yeah, I think that uh, a lot of things will be happening in a small way. And the church leaders can speak on St. Patrick's Day and, you know, make uh, grand statements, you know, from our podiums or whatever. But really the good work happens on the ground with with uh, people taking courageous first steps. Um, and one of the things that uh, what inspires me about Linda's work is that I really think that people in all of our traditions, we've ended up being captive to a kind of stereotype of who people think we ought to be. And I find myself searching deeper for faith where we will find a common connection and a common sense of belonging. And I really feel that as we move forward over the next few decades, people of strong Christian faith, I think, will find in that faith a call to healing, to forgiveness, to taking risks for peace and for love, and to do so in the name of Christ. I mean, if you think about uh, St. Patrick and the very first evangelists who came to these parts, they were bringing the message of Christ. And we said in our statement on St. Patrick's Day, it's a pity that we've been captive to the idols of state and nation rather than to the word of God which is a message of love and and I just think that what we need to do as church leaders is to enable and facilitate small uh, green shoots and new growth new life that is happening on the ground uh, in many cases on the interfaces and in the difficult areas in the areas which where people are already struggling from unemployment poverty lack of opportunity lack of uh, educational uh, opportunities it's in those very spaces that small uh, courageous hope-filled initiatives like linda's take place and we in church leaders need to encourage them and that's 
what we're doing today is saying well done to you uh, Linda and uh, you inspire us and keep up your good and excellent and courageous work. And you talked pretty starkly in that statement about the feelings of church leaders when it came to peace and reconciliation. Is it work like that then that is the commitment of church leaders to try and ensure that there's a line in the sand and, and a different approach to peace? I think we're doing that. When I look back and read the history books and the archives of 100 years ago, there's no question in my mind that we were all almost eyeballing each other from separate corners. Our church leaders now, we've built great friendships, particularly in recent years. And I think it's born out of a common sense that really our country, our world needs to hear the voice of faith and needs to hear the voice of love, forgiveness and reconciliation. And we are the ones who have been given the responsibility to ensure that that message gets out. And that's something that we can do symbolically and really together. And it's much stronger when we do it together. Uh, is what they say in Irish, that you're much stronger when you do things uh, together. One thing I'd, I wanted to add in at th- this stage, um, Archbishop, in terms of the balance between leading and listening, you earlier in the year criticised nationalist leaders for not engaging as much as, as you wanted at that stage with centenary events. Is that something that you stand by and how do you get the balance between challenging and understanding and bringing people along with you? Well, first of all, I think uh, the, the, the media presentation of what I said was much more uh, aggressive, perhaps, than what I, what I was doing. I was really issuing an invitation to leaders um, on all sides, including those in my own tradition, uh, to, to take this opportunity. And I'm pleased. I feel that has happened. Uh, I think that as this year continues to unfold, there will be more opportunities, perhaps now that maybe please God, COVID is going to lift a bit, so we might have an opportunity to do some things together. One particular thing that I'm struggling a little bit with is that I'm very conscious that 100 years ago, you know, my um, predecessor, Cardinal Logue, uh, Archbishop of Armagh, didn't attend the first day of the, the Northern Ireland Parliament, and I've been invited now to come along, and it's something that I said, look, you know, this is an opportunity for me to come and to be present, uh, you know, on the steps that day, uh, just to be present, to say that, look, I would really like us to move forward in in a shared way uh, on this island and between these islands and indeed beyond, because really we are all brothers and sisters. There's a huge global call to greater understanding and I'm very conscious in the gospel when, when, when somebody said to Jesus, who is my neighbour? That's a question which really Every Christian, indeed, people of all faiths might ask themselves today on this planet, who is my neighbour? Uh, and and uh, it, it, it really puts it up to all of us. Linda, can I come to you just in terms of your hopes? Um, you shared the challenges and some of the emotion of what you've been through recently. But when you are doing the work and you have those moments with people, what hope are you taking forward in terms of how language and culture can contribute to healing and peace and reconciliation? Well, I do. I, I see it in my, my own work that it's bringing people together and just forming those relationships and friendships. And what I hope for in the future with the language is that, you know, we come to a point where, you know, somebody doesn't judge a person's religion or, you know, 
politics because they speak Irish because you know why why should they and I want to see more diversity within the Irish language sector and I'm doing a lot of work to ensure that that happens and I see it happening and it's growing so you know for me I don't want the language to be a contentious subject I don't see any reason why it should be and I feel that the more people from within the unionist community who get involved in the language, then it takes that sting out of it. And Eamon, for you then, based on what you've seen this year, the conversations you've had and what you've heard from Linda, what are some of your hopes going forwards? Well, my hopes are as we will find that deeper connection uh, to realise that we are all struggling together, that we have an exciting future if we choose to build it for ourselves, for our children and grandchildren. And I really do feel that the churches have found a calling now to create those spaces. And that's something that I'm hoping that I and others will be able to continue to do in the months and years ahead. Thanks so much for your time and insights, Archbishop Eamon Martin and Linda Irvine. This podcast series was supported by a grant from the Northern Ireland Community Relations Council. And just a reminder, this episode is part of a series of podcasts with church leaders as they reflect personally on this centenary year. So do check out the rest of those chats found on all the usual podcast platforms. Enjoy the rest of your day.